What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back, unfortunately, <laughs> to another episode of the Mets Sub Podcast. Yeah, we're going to rip the band-aid off with this one. I'll save you the fun little intros that we normally do. Let's just start talking about the series uh, against the Brewers. It was not great. It was a bad, bad series. Swept for the first time in this season. Uh, we know that the Mets also did not get swept pretty much all of last year. I think it was September 14th was their first sweep against the Chicago Cubs. James, it's going to feel weird because I'm not really introing you and I'm not telling people to follow us anywhere. But like I said, let's just rip the Band-Aid off and start talking about what hopefully is the worst series of the entire year. I mean, I'd love to say that it can only go up from here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go down. First two games of the series, the Mets didn't score a run and give up 19. It doesn't really get much worse than that. The Mets gave up, I think it was seven homers in the first two games. They only have, they at the time of, <laughs> at the time of those two games, they only had one the entire season. It really like there's a million stats we can say them all. Not they're not that much fun. It's just we got just bamboozled from three games in Milwaukee. Two games got bamboozled. Yeah. One game lost tight. And we know that the Mets have a horrendously bad history of playing in Milwaukee. We were talking in the group chat, and I was like, every time we go to Milwaukee, it feels like hell. It feels horrible. Like it's dark in there. It's it, something about that stadium just bad, bad vibes that I remember. So we asked Johnny Stats, who's not going to be with us on this episode today. Him and Vito are are out doing um, holiday stuff right now. But we asked for some stats on what the Mets have been doing in Milwaukee the last few times that they've been there. And what did it come out to, James, that they've lost 18 of their last 21? Yeah, the Mets are 3-18 and in their last 21 games in Milwaukee and had a stretch from 2016 and 2021 where they lost 14 of 15 in Milwaukee. Oh, so this place just seems to be a place the Mets can't play baseball at all. So I don't, I don't even know how because in that time we've gone through multiple general managers, multiple managers, tons of different players, different owners. And for some reason, when the Mets go to Milwaukee, we can't do it. Even just the fact that we won two games in Milwaukee last year, clinched a playoff berth. That was 67% of the wins the Mets have had in Milwaukee in five years. Seven years, actually. Seven years. Like It's ridiculous. Yeah, they just don't play well there. I don't know what it is. I know we saw in game one, I believe it was Jeff McNeil had a problem with the field, and they spoke about it a little bit more in game three. Yeah that Jeff McNeil made a play that was very similar to the one that he made in Miami where he like slid on his knee to try and grab a ball and like get around it. And he did it in Milwaukee. And when he slid into the ground, his knee basically just got stuck and the grass kicked up and he basically did like a somersault. Could have gotten seriously hurt though. Thank goodness he did not. It was like a very, very awkward looking slide. But he was screaming at the ground saying <laughs> obscenities at it and going, no, I've never seen someone so angry at the ground. But then when they asked him like, why was he so mad? He said, I've played here a couple times and made similar plays. And it feels like the grass in the outfield specifically is not rooted into the ground. He goes, it just feels like there's like just a ton of dirt underneath it. And it's basically just laying on top of it, which got to imagine doesn't feel great as a player. Also, probably not the reason why the Mets lost that game either. I mean, they just, like we said, they played pretty horribly. There's no way around it. For sure. But when that McNeil play happened, that was like a moment of visceral frustration for a team that was already losing by a decent amount. It kind of felt like, oh, yeah. no, that, that doesn't feel good for the rest of this game. And it just bled into the next day and even the next day. I mean, not really the next day, because on Wednesday, the Mets did get on the board first. First, they did start hot versus Clendor got them on the board early. But it was just something was off this whole series. Something was weird. Just, something is not something was just not right. And maybe it was just one of those series where it's just day after day after day. It doesn't feel right. But also the fact that they did have a pretty significant pitching disadvantage for two of the three games. It was just also the, the baby brewers, Joey Weimer. Is it Weimer or Weimer? Weimer, Weimer. Joey Weimer. I've been saying Weimer for years. So Joey Weimer, Bryce Terang, Garrett Mitchell just became Murderous Row. Garrett, you know, Garrick and Ruth from the the Yankees just hitting every single thing out of the park. Bryce Terang might hit nine home runs entire Major League Baseball career. <laughs> he had the grand slam off Tommy Hunter that's still going right now. It's it was like it was just crazy to watch this whole series. 
I had a friend text me. They're like, dude, you told me Bryce Frank's not that guy. Like you said, you were never about him. I'm like, well, he had like never hit a ball 109 miles an hour in the air in his life before until he hit that grand slam off of Tommy Hunter. Garrett Mitchell and Joey Weimer, like, I mean, and even Bryce Terang to a, to a fault, they have all been highly touted prospects. Bryce, Garrett Mitchell should have been like a top five pick in the 2020 draft, but he has type one diabetes. So he dropped in it. That's why. And yeah, no, he dropped. There was just like the diabetes concerns about his health and everything like that. But he was a standout phenomenal player at UCLA. We got glimpses of it this this uh, series where he showed the power. He obviously has incredible speed. is a phenomenal center fielder. Looks like a very good player for the Brewers' future. And Joey Weimer, fifth-round pick from that same draft out of University of Cincinnati, the dude does like very, very specific things very well. He runs really fast, throws really hard, hits the ball really hard as well. And like those are all the makings of a good player, and he showed it this series as well. I also believe Terang was either a first or a second-round pick way back when he was taken. These are, again, like, these are these are not this is not Murder's Row, but these are not not talented no. ball players. And we did warn everyone going into the series that the Brewers had made some genuine improvements to this roster during the offseason, namely Jesse Winker, who we just can't seem to avoid. Wherever that guy winds no. up, he does something to kill the Mets. Whatever, whatever is in Jesse Winker's brain that allows him to beat the Mets every single time, we as a as a society, possibly as a government, should you know capture it, should analyze it, and be able to try and transpose that to other people we need in competition and any anything really in the entire world. Because whatever clicks inside of Jesse Winker's brain when the team on the other side of the field is wearing clothing that just says Mets on it or New York when the colors of blue and orange ignite something in his freaking brain I can't they can't stop him and you just knew every game this series like he's gonna do something he's gonna do something he's gonna do something even he's inevitable against the Mets and also William Contreras who's hitting the ball hard doing a lot of things like this lineup isn't bad their pitching staff is good their bullpen always has freaky guys you've never heard of before you're gonna throw hammers and crazy fastballs and sinkers and changeups and whatnot and they just they're, they think they're a good team i don't think they're as good as they were these last couple of days I think nine home runs in three games and, yeah and scoring 26 runs like that's a little ridiculous but i think a lot of things went together this series and they just completely downed us yeah the jesse winker tweet you put out was funny today about like some way somehow we got to find a way to get him on the mets just simply so he doesn't have to play against the mets anymore it's kind of like when the Mets traded for Kelly Johnson in 2015, that guy killed us so badly when he was on the Braves or any team. Get him on the team. He's got a little magic. I mean, I don't think the Brewers are going to be making a move for Jesse Winker right now, especially if they're competing for a playoff spot looking this good. He looks like he's a big part of this lineup so far. Very, very, very good player. Um, and, you know, it's, it stinks. Brian Anderson, too. I mean, we'll go through it as we go through the games. Brian Anderson, who the Marlins cut for seemingly no reason, he'd be the second best hitter on that roster, without a doubt. And, like, I know... A lot of people like were giving me crap on Twitter because I said like the Marlins cut him for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And basically he said, or people were replying like, oh, he was hurt all the time. He was disappointing. And it's like, yeah, but like to give up on a guy who was clearly good and had clearly shown talent before, like, yeah, maybe the change of scenery was also a big thing and going from a park of Miami to Milwaukee, which is a lot more hitter friendly. But me and you have watched that guy play a lot. And we're like, this dude was always a ball player. This was someone who was like, I can't believe the Marlins of all teams don't want this guy. Brian Anderson had three home runs the series against the Mets. Not even the series. Brian Anderson had three home runs in two games against the Mets. He had three home runs his last 140 plate appearances. <laughs> it's like you can't even make it up. And like he went, he went almost 100 full plate appearances before this series without hitting even one home run. It's and that it's like it doesn't it didn't make sense what was happening. You just he looked like he was getting around on the ball so well. You know, you never want to say this. But it did feel like there was an element of the series where they almost knew what pitches were coming. Like there was yeah. nothing at all to surprise them. They were taking close pitches. They weren't chasing anything. 
like you could chalk a lot of it up to some of these Mets pitchers not looking great. And we'll start getting into these games specifically now, but it just felt like they weren't surprised by anything. There's not one thing a Mets pitcher could do to get after them. And that started on Monday afternoon with Carlos Carrasco, just going out there and just looking like there was something missing by the time he had left the game in the fifth inning, his fastball was down below 90. His low one was below 89 miles an hour. It never dipped that low in the spring. It never dipped that low last year. He was really laboring through the third and fourth innings, and he still went out back there for the fifth, and then the floodgates just absolutely opened, which was completely just capitalized by the Bryce Turan grand slam off Tommy Hunter, really had to wear one on his sleeve that day and pitch a couple innings, even though the Brewers just kind of teeing off on him. It was it was a bad show. It was one of those games like I just really hope, can't wait for this to end. Game started weird, too, because Carlos Grasco on the mound before he even threw a pitch got a, uh, a pitch clock violation because he was taking too long, and he was like, oh, yeah, it's my fault. Like, it was just... It was a weird start to the game. There was something that happened in the first thing that I wanted to make note of before everything went south. And I was like, oh, this this would be cool to talk about when the Mets win this series. A stupid me, little did I know they were going to get absolutely destroyed and swept. I'm rushed. But in the first inning, there was a 3-2 count uh, to Francisco Lindor. Brand Nimmo's on first. And Nimmo stole. The pitch that was thrown was very much in the strike zone, like bottom of the zone, but it was without a doubt. Like the whole ball was in the zone. It was a strike. But because Nimmo was stealing, William Contreras, who's not a great defensive catcher anyway, had to get up out of his crouch blocked, I believe, Alan Porter, who was doing the game behind the plate, and ended up getting Francisco Lindor a walk. So just like one of those cool little baseball intricacies that sometimes you miss when you're not like fully immersed into the game. But I thought it was very cool. Saved Lindor from a strikeout and got his first and second. Uh, didn't do anything, though. Didn't do anything. As we know, he didn't score any runs the first two games. That was pretty much it, I feel like, for the offense in that first game. There wasn't a lot to talk about there. The big story was Carrasco. The velo dropping is... Concerning, I think, yeah. to say the least. Like at, at the end of the day, like you gotta you gotta look at it from the outside perspective. And when you see a guy who sits 92, 93, a guy who has been very effective for us in the past, you're gonna have bad starts. That's gonna happen. Even when you are sharp, even when you're at your best, you're gonna have bad starts in a season. Sandy Alcantara lost to the Mets the other day. Corbin Burns had a bad start in this series, the best pitcher in baseball. So two best starts so far this year. Yeah, arguably the best pitcher in baseball. So you're going to have bad starts, but the velo dropping in the way, like you said, it was a very laboring start. Something was off. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it was. Hopefully it's, you know, just kind of going through, breaking off some rust of like being in a real game after a spring training. That was a little bit weird with World Baseball Classic and everybody coming in back and forth. But yeah, we just wasn't sharp from game one at all. No, really wasn't sharp at all. And again, you are very concerned with that because Carrasco has had some elbow issues the last couple of years. He's, of course, getting up there in age. He had lower body issues two years ago. And there's such a big difference between sitting 92 and 93 versus sitting 89 and 90. Huge. Like there, there are some big differences in velocity. And there's some spots where it's not that much different. Like Carrasco's a guy who doesn't have peak velocity anyway. So he's not really going to ever miss bats with his fastball. But just going from someone who's like, in the 40th percentile in fastball velocity to like the 10th percentile fastball velocity, that becomes, especially without really an elite, elite breaking ball at this point in his career, that becomes something where you can just get teed off on whenever it really happens. And losing those miles an hour, all of his pitchers are down a little bit, but his fastball is down the most. So that kind of lessens the difference between his changeup and his fastball. His changeup is usually his best pitch. It's not good. Another thing that happened in this game that was really confusing was Dennis Santana, who seemed like he was becoming a bit of a high leverage landing option for the Mets in the Marlins series. Pitch for a third day in a row in a game that was 10 nothing. where I understand yeah. that he's probably the back of the high leverage options that were out there in that bullpen between Rayleigh, Adovino, Robertson, even Drew Smith, and maybe even John Curtis at this point. But for anyone to pitch third day in a row, we, we really we were really excited last year by how this bullpen was managed. The fact that there were so few guys who did pitch on back-to-back days. Seeing a guy pitching a third day in a row was kind of weird. And I remember yeah, Keith and Gary talked about it a lot. I was like, oh, I can't really figure this one out. 
Yeah, I wonder if maybe Dennis Santana is a guy who's like, just ask for it. let me throw. Yeah. Like, just like, let you, you need someone to throw, let me throw. Like, I'm good. Like, I feel like it maybe could be one of those things as well of just like, I got, I got bullets left in my arm right now. Like, I'm good to go. Just, just let me go out there. I, I'll, I'll take one for the team right now. And then obviously not going to pitch the next two games just because that is a lot of pitching in three days. Yeah, this, that was weird. But that's, I mean, we even talked for game one longer than we should have. Now we have to go on to game two, yeah. which was the second game awful two. game of the series. So, to, yeah. yeah. Monday, you know, 10 nothing pretty bad but tuesday nine nothing <laughs> little better it's a little better. Uh, it's a little better it's a little bit better we're gonna talk about brian anderson already two home runs in this game i think rowdy also hit a home run or two garrett mitchell also did. hit two one of the home runs by garrett mitchell was the hardest hit ball of his young major league career which you know you love you love to see the kid making an impact like that and then the real story here though is just the fact that max scherzer just did not look right whatsoever well, it's like he didn't look right when, like, when he didn't look right, he didn't look right. But there were things that he still did that I feel like are getting glossed over that, like, make because there there are people that are like, you know, like doom and gloom, like, oh my god, this is it, Max Scherzer's old now, like it just happened. But like his slider still had a really good whiff rate. His cutter was still very effective. It's just he was. It seemed like he lacked the command that you normally associate with a pitcher like Max Scherzer because the balls that were being hit where you see the locations or where they were left, it's like, oh, it was, it was in the heart of the plate. Like, they were mistakes. The Brewers also did stack this lineup of lefties. Now, we know Max Scherzer does struggle a little bit more with lefties compared to righties because he usually is able to just play off that amazing fastball-slider combination. And when he is playing that the best way possible, you can see him really tunneling those pitches so the hitters just can't tell what's coming until the end. And that wasn't really happening. He had poor command of the slider, was out of his zone a lot. Um and ones that weren't were down the middle. And you saw the fact that he probably didn't have feel for that slider because of how many changeups he was throwing, which is a pitch that Max uses, but doesn't use as much as he was using it on Tuesday night. And it was just, I don't know. He gave up a ridiculous 14 hard hit balls in this game. That is like, when you look at the hard hit balls in Savant, they're like the little flames like next to a guy's name. They had to extend the box score out and over. It was just, they were teeing off on him. That was tied for the most hard hit balls Max has ever given up to start in his career. With a game in late September 2021 against the Padres and he was with the Dodgers when he was he was kind of like, he was basically falling apart the seams at that point in the season. His arm was getting very tired. He couldn't really do that anymore. And this is the... <clears throat> He's thrown now other two games in his career where he had at least 12 hard hit balls, one of them being the wild card game last year against the Padres. All of his games come since the start of 2021. Three of the four have come since September 29th, 2021. So this is a troubling trend. But again, like you said, he's still got 12 whiffs, which is, I've, and he only got two strikeouts. I've never seen that many yeah. swings and misses with that few strikeouts ever. I think the big part is that he wasn't getting really that many called strikes, which for some reason really makes me think that maybe they just kind of had an idea of what was coming because the velocity was fine, the spin was fine, the movement was fine. They just weren't like chasing after pitches. And whenever a pitch was in the zone, they were very, very ready to hit it. And I think to clarify, you're not saying like they're doing the Astros. I didn't say that. I'm just saying, they, just I'm, like, no, yeah. I'm just saying it seems like something. Like there was a situation a couple nights ago. I forgot who it was. I think it was a reliever on like the Mariner or something. Someone was tipping pitches. Like it just happens. It's a baseball yeah. thing that happens. Like sometimes you can tell by the way they glove, where their arm is. You can see them think like they're baseball players. They know how to do this stuff. And there were a lot of guys on second base when Scherzer was on the mound. So like it's possible they were even have the ability to do it that way. But I'm not accusing anyone Ooh. of anything. What? Scherzer in his first start too used uh, did not use the pitch com. He went traditional signs. Could be interesting. Yeah, interesting. I don't know what he did. I don't. I wasn't paying attention to what he did for this game. I was too busy uh, wallowing in what was disappointment at the time. Well, we, and we, we also had softball. Yeah, going we were on. playing softball. We were, we were keeping track of the game on yeah. our phones, watching watching live in between innings. But 
it was bad. It was weird. And a lot of people are doom and gloom right now with Scherzer just given the way last season ended. And I don't think that is unfair to someone who's a, who's a future Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers of a generation. I, I, yeah. I genuinely think that a guy who had the lowest year of his entire career last year, even though it was only in about 140 innings. So I would give Max Scherzer the benefit of the doubt, as crazy of a sentence Definitely. that is to say. And I would just say, let's get ready for the next one. And then we had the next one, and we I thought I mean I was happy for a while in this one. This, this, this game so happy. hurt more. We had the debate on Tuesday night with some of the softball bros of would you rather lose a game by a lot or lose a game by a little? And I think it's very obvious after the series, I'd rather lose the game by a lot because which is opposite the way yeah. I was talking the other day. Yes, we, that's what I that's what I said at yeah. the game. I was like, I'd rather just get the pants beat off of us so that like end of the day, like I mean, like you could even see with the guys on the bench, and I think this is something that's important too, is like we noticed this last year and through talking with players, like remember when we talked to Nito, he was like, yeah, like we see stuff on Twitter and we like laugh. And he made a co comment about how like Mets fans get like so crazy. Like when a team loses a couple games, like, it's over. It's And he's like, dude, we know we're good. And even Lindor after the game today was like, we know we're a good team. We know we have the it factor. We know we got a good lineup. Like this is just like a bad stretch of games. We had a bad stretch last year to end the season. I'm, I'm happy it's happened now rather than at the end of the season. Like now we just have to make sure that doesn't happen again. And, for them to not, it doesn't feel like anybody's pressing. And there were times where it could feel like a team's pressing, and that's like super, super bad and not something you want to see. It just feels like they're kind of like, we just played like, we played bad. That's really what it came down to. We did not play well. I had to censor myself there a little bit here. I didn't want to say a word. Yeah, no, no, no producers in the stream right now, so we got to be more careful about what's going on. But I do, I do agree with that. It doesn't feel like anybody's pressing, but it just does feel like they can't push any of the right button. Like even the way this game started, yeah. like you get a run the first inning off Corbin Burns. Francisco Lindor hits a rope down the line. Nice RBI. He had his best game of the young season so far with three hits, two doubles, two runs, two ribbies. Then the Brewers come back, take the lead, and then they storm right back, tie the game, and take the lead with two big Pete Alonso home runs. Finally felt like this yeah. was the game where both of those guys got back on track, and those two statistically last season were the best combination of players in any lineup in all of baseball. Home runs, RBIs, everything. They were. Maybe they're not anymore because now Juan Soto is going to play full season Manny Machado and those guys in Fernando Tatis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys in St. Louis are pretty good. The, the, the two guys in Toronto are pretty good. There's, there's a lot of good combinations. Two guys in Philly are pretty good now, but Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. Yeah, those guys aren't that bad either. But I will, again, like, these two are as good of like a middle of the order duo you're going to have in Major League Baseball. They're two absolute superstars. And the fact that they were like, all right, we had, didn't have a good couple of days. We're facing one of the best pitchers in the league today. We're going to pick everybody up. We're going to get it together. And it just still wasn't able to get wasn't enough to get them over the hump. It was really frustrating. And a part of that was the fact that David Peterson didn't really have his best stuff today. He was a little bit erratic, command, he was just wild. He sailed a lot of fastballs, but in the middle innings of this game. And they were talking yeah. about it on the broadcast too. For some reason he just wasn't tucking his shoulder, wasn't following through the right way. But there were too many fastballs that were just high and left high. They weren't really able to pick off the top part of the strike zone. So weren't even the spot where you can get a hitter to even think about swing at. It was just like sail, take a step back, not think about it. And then that led to lots of long counts, lots of two twos, three twos, two ones, three ones. You only had two oh two counts the entire day, which you just really just hate that. You want to be in command a little more than that. And he had a lot of trouble placing his slider. Just really yeah. couldn't put it in a spot where it would get meaningful whiffs or get in a spot where he could possibly get a call strike. Got one call strike, I think, on the curveball. And something cool about Peterson that he still just has this good changeup that's kind of fallen back to this fastball slider. Uh repertoire and that changeup actually did come up really big for him today didn't give up a hard hit ball with it got a lot of whiffs and, and called strikes with it that was a pitch that really did get him to where he had to get through in this inning to even get through four innings get to that fifth inning when it looked very laborious early yeah. so some good some bad i mean it just wasn't a good day it wasn't just wasn't a good place for the mess to pitch not a place for the mets can win really 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team yeah with David Peterson what I noticed watching the game was like you said those fastballs were all sailing high and usually when that happens that means your arms kind of lagging behind it's like two things you're either overthrowing or your arms like lagging behind the rest of your body and to be fair mechanically it did not look like he was that comfortable on the mound today mechanically it looked like he was trying to figure out where his arm slot should be when he's supposed to be releasing like just everything just felt a little bit off and when you're a guy who's six foot six or whatever david peterson is six foot seven your mechanics are even more important than when you're a guy let's just say that's a little bit smaller like a pitcher we used to have like marcus stroman who can be a little more i don't want to say fluid in his mechanics but there's kind of less there's less error that can really affect what's going on with him. Where David Peterson, if his arm's lagging behind, he's got a huge arm. He has to bring that thing forward. And that would lead to why the slider wasn't really able to locate because the arm was dragging. That would lead to why the fastballs were all missing high. Even some of the sliders were missing high, which is something we never see from David Peterson. A lot missed low, too. And I think this is something that actually happened to him the first two innings in Miami last weekend. I talked about that at length yeah. last week. It seemed like it took him two innings to get comfortable, and then he did settle in. This is just simply a better lineup, so it's a little bit harder to settle in because you kind of have to be more careful. There's seven, seven basically in the series, nine guys in this order who could hit a home run at any given moment because now Bryce Terang yeah. just can't hit home runs. Now Gary Mitchell can't hit home runs. So you just had, you had to be careful, and then it's also probably out of pressure of being the last guy going up with a sweep on the line. Corbin Burns on the other rubber who we just crushed, and that, that makes it all so yeah. much more disappointing. And this game kind of fell out of sorts in one instance in the fifth inning when Drew, uh, David Peterson came back out to start the inning. And we had a little bit of argument about this off air. I was I was okay with him starting that inning because it seemed like he he didn't like there was no point in this game where I could say like he actually did settle in. So it wasn't like he was pitching well or he was like losing it. Like everything kind of felt similar. Like he was just like up and down, up and down, couldn't really do it. But he hadn't actually given up runs in two innings at this point. And the runs he gave up in the second, it was the third, I can't remember right now. It wasn't like I don't know, the ball wasn't really being smoked. It looked like he was at least finding something. And Christian Yelich was leading off the inning. Mets do only have one lefty in their bullpen. It was Brooks Raley who pitched, got kind of hit harder than that before. So we don't know whether or not he was available. So you can, okay, fine. At this point, let him face the lefty, see if he can get him. He didn't get him. That was his fourth walk of the game. And now you're bringing in Drew Chains, Drew Smith to pitch in kind of like, it was only the fifth inning, but this was a high leverage situation because yeah. this time we're winning by two. The middle of the other order is up. They've been hitting you hard all, all week and you got to get them out. And he got to a point where there were two outs. It was a bit of a long inning, a lot of long counts. I think he had three straight three and two counts. Yeah, Jesse Winker, everyone's everyone's favorite player is up first Gosh. and third. And then something happened that I found kind of frustrating, but less frustrating at the time, more frustrating after the fact because hindsight's always twenty twenty. where we let Luke Voigt to get the second stolen base of his career on second. Yeah. 
And I think I really, truly think the Brewers were just trying to steal one run at that point because Christian Yelich is, is an athletic player and he's very heady. So if you were going to throw that ball down, Omar Narvaez, that he probably was just going to break for the plate. So then you're in a situation where you got to get him. And it, it looked like he just kind of he wasn't really paying that much attention to him because, again, you have Jesse Winker up, who is Babe Ruth against the Mets. So you really got to focus on him. And it didn't happen. And then Drew Smith just left a 3-2 changeup right over the plate. A guy who throws 10% changeups. He had thrown three his entire yeah. outing. It's very clearly it's their best pitch. Not a pitch I would have called in that situation. And again, also probably not even a situation where I, again, but I, I, we don't know if Brooks Rayleigh was available. That's something we just don't yeah. know as fans on the outside. But Jesse Winker has such stark splits between lefties and righties. I was even surprised he was starting this game against Drew, uh, against David Peterson. I keep saying Drew Peterson. I keep making their names together. <laughs> but um, David Peterson, Drew Smith, David Peterson, Drew Smith. Yeah, just got to get him ingrained into your head. It was just it was just an unfortunate sequence that tied this game. And then from that point, you were like, oh, this just feels bad. It feels like we kind of they just took our best punch. And now we're just kind of they have a very rested bullpen and we have a very beleaguered bullpen. I uh, I was talking to my dad on the phone during this inning and we were just talking. He's like, tell me what's going on. I was like, Jesse Winker's up. It's like a three two count man on first and, or man on second and third. And as I'm saying that, I go, oh, great. I don't like and this. He's like, he's like, what do you do? I was like, double in the gap. I'm like, I mean, this guy just crushed it. So he's got prime real estate. He owns the Mets so much. And I, I, I feel like we talk about like Met killers all the time, but Jesse Winker is up there with one of the best, like for especially a guy who's like, like Chipper Jones is obviously the all time Met killer. Like everyone knows that. Pat Burrell. Just, he named his, he named his kid Shay. Like that's elite level of owning. Like you you tip the cap to an all-time great there. I hate Chipper Jones, but that's a great job. Jesse Winker's getting really close. I feel like to just like every single time that he has an opportunity to do anything. The guy's a horrible fielder. He makes plays in the field, sliding into the wall, robbing home runs, cat, whatever it is. The dude just plays out of his mind when it has to go up against the Mets. It's very, very frustrating. Uh, I will say I, I do like him though. I think he's a kind of cool guy. I mean, I, I just I kind of just respect the hustle, the fact that he can do yeah. it consistently. Like if he would acted like this and wasn't able to do this on a regular basis, yes. I'd be like, this guy's a loser. But he rat. Yeah, I mean, he probably <laughs> still is rat. He just delivers time and time again. It's so frustrating. Like I want him on this team. I want I want to stick Jesse Winker in Syracuse for the next ten years. Like I want that guy to suffer <laughs> through April and May baseball. I want him to be cold and not. That's like where he's from. I think he was born in Buffalo. Yeah, it's up north. Anyways, they're good. Yeah, go back there. Used to it. Just don't make any money and just don't play against the Mets ever again. Because I'm I'm so done with him. And then. This game just lagged and lagged and lagged. No, neither offense really did anything between the sixth, seventh, eighth innings. But Mets did not get a hit from the fifth inning onward. Mm, yeah. So as soon as they got we'll that six like that. runs, they did not get a hit. I think Pete Alonso's home run might have been the last hit that the Mets got in the game, which is also a little. I don't want to. I don't know what the word is, but that stinks. That's not. It great. does stink. I mean, you got Luke Voigt made multiple fantastic plays in the field. That guy's never made a play in his Dude. entire life. Guy's got brick uh, hands. He's got he he. There are balls that have been thrown right to his chest that clanks off his glove, and he was making diving plays left and right. It was it, nothing could really go our way, and then it all culminated in the ninth inning when Adam Adovino came in. We used David Robertson in the eighth, then Adam Adovino came in the ninth. They also put in Nito in the game in the ninth, which Gary and Keith were like, "Huh, yeah. that's an interesting decision." Like you never really usually switch out a catcher late just to switch, but maybe Nito and Adovino are more comfortable together. Regardless, the game ended on the, on the first batter of the game uh, of that inning through a slider that really just hung, just hung quite a bit. Yeah. Take a picture of it. Uh, it It was hanging and it went right in Garrett Mitchell's happy zone to which he crushed it. And he knew it was gone. The second he put bat to ball, 
Uh, found out that Garrett Mitchell's wife has not been at the last two games. A fa- famous TikTok softball player from the University of Oregon, Haley Cruz Mitchell. Oh. She's not been at the last two games, and he has had three home runs. <laughs> and basically, the joke that they've been running with is she's not coming to any more games. <laughs> yeah, she, nor should she. Garrett Mitchell looked like Barry Bonds over the last couple of games of the series. And, I mean, Alvino pitched in the 9 nothing game on Tuesday. So being in back-to-back days, like getting that inning in. You want to get guys work when you're losing these games big, but then you kind of think like, oh man, I wish you wouldn't that pitch back to back days here. And then I don't know, he's just not so good against lefties anyway. We kind of know that about you know he's a yeah. he's a fastball slider guy that pitches a frisbee, but it just it's much harder to use it effectively against lefties. That's kind of his number one uh, shortcoming. But Dr- drops right into that zone that lefties love, low and yeah, just like it's just crushing. it's it's still a phenomenal pitch even when it's working. It's it's just really a lot easier for the lefties to hit than righties. And then we walk out of this series getting swept. It took almost six full months for the Mets to get swept last year. And this year it took less than six. It took seven games. And that's honestly it just it feels it feels weird as a fan having gone through all of last year, like in such a different vibe. It feels like a lot of Mets fans have kind of pulled their mentality from the end of last year into this year. And so that's a little frustrating because the average Major League Baseball season is about 1,500 innings long. When you include the extra innings you get, and the Mets have played 63. That's good for about 4% <laughs> of the entire season. And there are Mets fans that are freaking out right now. And like, I don't know. It, it just depends on the day whether a fan is more upset at the, at the hitting, at the defense, at the pitching, at the managing. It just it goes round and round and round, never ever goes. But that's it. We're in a spot right now where it does feel bad because we did get swept by a pretty good team on the road, but that's still no excuse for it. Actually, the Mets even get swept yeah. on the road. Oh, the Mets got swept on the road last year, just Washington, right? Uh, I don't. Did they even get swept? I don't, I don't remember. I'm blind. No, I think that was at City Field again. Yeah, I guess right. Because I think we were at those games. We're like, wow, we just got swept by the Nationals. So the Mets like, might not have been <laughs> swept. At, that was the Labor Day series. So the Mets might not have been swept on the road all of last year. Is oh, possible Atlanta last series of the year, of course. Oh yeah, yeah how did I forget yeah. that one? Oh my yeah, well, God. I know how we forgot that one. We we blacked that <sighs> one out of our minds. We are like. I mean, we, we went to the event. We got the water bottles. I gave it away. I couldn't have that. I, <laughs> I, I scratched the date off of mine. I still have it. But um, maybe, I, I, maybe, never maybe I should get rid of it. It's the bad juju. It's in the bottom of my desk. I've never used it. I probably got to get rid of that thing. Might might have to sacrifice. We can leave it on the street tonight. And also, I, w- I was thinking about that series this week, actually. Not for like the same reasons as most people, but just because I remember last year, before any of this mess stuff happened, before we knew how the season was going to ride out, I um I had bought tickets. And like got some like accommodations to like a concert I really wanted to see last year. Uh, EDM group I like a lot, Rufus DeSoul, out in like this really cool venue near Seattle called the Gorge. I only play a few shows there a year. It's like this massive amphitheater, like on a mountain overlooking like an incredible lake. It's like apparently like one of the most scenic things in the world. I just I remember like as we we're getting to the end of the season, like there's absolutely no way I can go to this concert. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there and like avoid like what's gonna happen in this Mets series. I was thinking about that because this week specifically. Two of like my favorite musical art, musical artists ever in the world. One, two, neither like as as even like well known. Roof to Salt Jungle. They're this like okay. British like funky pop band that play them when we have like you know we used to have our porch parties all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and another uh, DJ group called Pretty Lights. It's like one guy, then his like ensuing band. Um, one of the main reasons I've ever liked electronic music in the first place. They of course are playing two shows in New York this September 29th and thirtieth, Friday and Saturday when the Phillies are coming to City Field for the last series of the year. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to buy these tickets. I don't know what that series is going to look like, but like, I just have to do it. Like, Maybe I got to switch up the juju. Last year, maybe I just should have gone to my music and avoided the series. Maybe this year, that'll just make the Mets play better. But I, it's funny that this happened the last like 48 hours. I got them both. And I was thinking, like, wow. Why Why when the Mets play their biggest series of the year is like one of my favorite musical artists play cool concerts? Like, Why is that the case? I'm like, whatever. I'm going to buy these tickets. I might sell them. I might go. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but just weird like deja vu happening. 
I also noticed something from this game, too, that was interesting about Pete Alonso was that he hit the two home runs today. I had to bring this up because, like, when I heard it, I was like, Pete, Pete, come on, man. What are we doing? So Pete last year used an axe handle bat. Um, I don't have an example because I never used an axe handle bat, never had one. But essentially, the way that the handle is is more of like if you were holding a, a, an axe that you'd be chopping a tree down with. What that's supposed to do is it gives you leverage and makes the bat kind of whip a little bit more so you can get a really top-heavy bat, a heavier bat, but swing it as if it's a little bit faster because you just get a little more leverage, a little more like whip on it. So Pete had been using that. This year, he switched to a hockey puck knob, and I watched the video by the people who make his bats. I believe it's Dovetail Bats. And that is to more evenly distribute the weight so that the, the bat speed, in theory, feels more even and you can get a quicker bat. So Pete had been using the hockey puck knob all year long. Hadn't necessarily been playing that great. He went back to his old his old axe bat and he hit two home runs today. I'm like, hey, Pete, don't change it up. Let's keep it with the axe handle thing that's worked your entire career, please. And shaved shaved the mustache. Yes, and he shaved the mustache too. He kept the beard though. Yeah, we saw Pete Alonso beard. I feel like for the first time ever, he usually just goes with the stash. They had the beard. Do you think he shaves the beard? He played well, but they lost. Does he shave the beard? No, I think I think he probably keep it. He hit two home runs. Like if he would have hit maybe one home run, possibly, but he hit two home runs. And also, I just went back yeah. and checked last year. The Mets were not swept by the Nationals. They lost two games of three games at Labor Day series. They lost two in a row, though. That was that was the big one. Then they were swept. Yeah, felt Chicago like and home. The series we ran all those games. That was that was miserable. <laughs> and then the Atlanta series at the end. So the Mets were swept twice last year and didn't happen until September fourteenth for the first time. Hey, you know what? What the, how'd the Mets finish last year? Uh, well, it depends who you ask. They they didn't. Yeah, they, they, they didn't win the World the, Series, they right? The playoff series. So yeah, not that cool. Great. Does I don't care. I don't care how many times they get swept as long as they make the playoffs and win. That's to me. Oh, the sure. the Phillies last year. Phillies were swept a ton last year. They went to the World they, Series. They were one of the. They were horrible in the regular season. <sighs> that team was terrible, and they they're they're looking pretty terrible right now too. If you, any solace is a Mets fan, if you hate the Phillies as much as I do <laughs> in the city of Philadelphia. At least you're not playing like them. They're one in five going into their next series and have looked atrocious. They can't hit. They can't pitch. They can't do anything. No, they can't. And uh, I just have something else I was going to say. I lost it. Cubs sweep. I don't know. I can't. I just it, this this series just sucked. Like I'm I'm drawing all blanks yeah. right now. It was just it was just mis no, it, it was just miserable to be a part of. Luckily, we do have opening day coming up. Yeah. I also love. It's I'm kind of okay. I know it kind of foils our plans a little bit here, but yeah. I'm kind of okay that Thursday got rained out. Because maybe, maybe the boys just need a little okay. rest. They've been on the road. They've been in Florida. Get to get to come back to New York. Relax. Get in your apartment. Get in your house. Whatever they're doing. Feel like you're at home. Maybe get some good home cooking from the wife or whoever's making the food for you. Or make and it yourself. Relax. Or make it yourself. Maybe, maybe Mark Canna, I'm sure, is a great cook. If I had to bet anybody, it's got to be Mark Canna. But I like that they're going to have a little day off. And we start on Friday with the home opener. Of course, we're going to be at that game. So you guys know the estimate. It's coming up. We're going to have the video out for you guys after this podcast release. It should be out on the New York Mets YouTube channel within some time on Thursday, we assume, or at least before the home opener. Uh, we will be doing a live stream, though, I believe, on Friday mm -hmm. uh, with the seven line at their tailgate. So if you guys want to come hang out and you know just see the live stream in person, come see us. We're going to be at the marina, I believe, is where they do the tailgate. Mm -hmm. Live stream and talking about the Mets. We're apparently going to be you know on the screen the tell at the stadium, too, which will be awesome. And YouTube. And, you'll be and YouTube. And you'll be able to see whether it's me or James in the tuxedo, which is going to be, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts. Someone's wearing a tuxedo to a game. Yeah, this is going to be funny. I'm, I'm excited for opening day. I really, really wish they would have won this game just to like yeah. dampen the blow a little bit because I just feel like the Mets fans are more ornery than usual right now. Like, what? I have a, I have a, I have an announcement. Don't you, nobody, nobody better boo at opening day. Oh, if someone no, boos be, at opening so day, you, you should be ejected from the stadium. Like, that's like, 
We don't, there's already, uh, the name will never be named on this podcast because we're, we're better than that. But there is, there are negative fans that have a following that really, really push the negativity yeah. around the Mets. And you're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be angry. But then there's just being stupid, stupid, idiotic, a childish, immature, a baby, I think are some of the words I would describe it as. Don't be that. Don't be that. You can be mad when they lose. You can be upset. But don't bring that negative energy to the stadium. We need, we need positive vibes so badly after having one of the worst series we've had in a very long time. And it's at the start of the season. A lot of people are angry. A lot of people are ornery. Just, just calm down, relax, have a beer at the game, get a hot dog, enjoy. Friday's going to be much better weather than it was going to be on Thursday. Enjoy the sun if it's going to be out. No booze, though. Please, please, for the love of God, do not boo anybody on opening day. Can I can I give a microcosm for, I think, how crazy and how poorly Mets fans are probably taking the beginning of the season right now? Yes. So our friend Michael Marino, at Marino MLB on Twitter, he's our boy, also fellow Buckeye. Shout out. Shout out, Mike. He put up a poll today at 5.13 p.m. Which starter will be the best for the Mets the rest of the season? And there were three options in the poll. Scherzer, Verlander, Sanga. I want you to guess right now. Make the numbers equal 100 between these three guys. How do you think Mets fans voted? Who's going to be the best star the rest of the way? Scherzer, Verlander, Sanger. How, how do I think it should be nope. or how do I think it was? How do you think it was? What do you think the results are right now? There's only This isn't a crazy sample size. 335 votes as of recording right now. Okay. I want you to guess. Give, a, give some ranges even of these numbers. I think, I mean, I think they pick Sanger first. And I think Sanger is going to be like 37%. Who do you think second? Who do you think third? Go, Give me some numbers. I'm gonna go Ver, Verlander second and Scherzer third. We'll get, and I think they're gonna numbers be. Numbers you think for Scherzer? It'll be Verlander, like Scherzer. Verlander's probably gonna be like 35, which I think puts me at 72, which means Scherzer's like 28. I think they're all relatively close. Can I blow your mind right now? Yeah, blow my mind. You were, you were right in your first instinct that Mets fans did vote 49 percent for Sanga to be the best Mets star of the rest. 49. Of the 49. For, I mean, Sanga looked great, but that's 49. He pitches the Marlins. No, <laughs> Love nobody's listening to us. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's no, listening no, no, to no, us. No one ever listens to us. <laughs> no one. Next was Verlander at 43. So now if you're doing your mental Whoa. math right now, that left 8%, was that like 12%? 8% for Max Scherzer. What is going on? Where are we? We're freaking out. People are really freaking out right now. It was a bad series, but again, yeah, I, I, I'm going to give... Remember how many games we won in April last year? A lot. It didn't do anything for us yeah, in September and October. Didn't mean anything. My friend, I'm, my friend Nick. I used to be a guy who was like, wins in April matter just as much as September and October. And they do. Theoretically, they do matter exactly the same. But at the end of the day, as long as you make the playoffs, that's all that really matters. I don't care when the wins come. If Trevor Williams didn't pitch in the ninth inning against Juan Soto last April. Things could have been <laughs> a lot different. I'm going to go back to that every single time. But <laughs> it is true. Like, this team was so good last year in the regular season. Everyone was like, oh, it didn't mean anything. And now the second they started losing regular season games, it was like, this yep. team sucks. It's like you can't have it both ways. You can't be upset about everything. I know some people want to be upset no. about everything, and there's a lot of content creators out there that kind of push this narrative that you should be upset about everything. That's what feeds into their machine, and that makes sense. You know, if that's your content strategy, that's your content strategy. However, just not going to be ours. Four percent through the season right now. It's April fifth. I don't even think last season started by this date. I think last year's opening day was <laughs> the seventh. I no, I think it was like the tenth or the eleventh because I think I dropped my predictions on April tenth last year. I want to say it started like the twelfth last year. Mets even. opening day was I was right, April seventh, Thursday, April seventh. Tyler McGill beat Patrick Corbin, April seventh. So <laughs> one year ago, the Mets had played zero games, and right now the season's over. <laughs> season's over, season's guys. Four percent's been played. Pack it up, trade everybody, do that. Yeah. That's that's the take some people are having. Uh, we're not going to ever have those takes. 
If you're looking for that from us, I apologize. You're never going to get us being doom and gloom uh, 4% through the season. We might get upset if we're looking halfway through the season and things are not looking great, but 4% through, not going to happen. Something that we do have to talk about too, Estimate, uh, I lost, lost I bad. lost in the in like the first three innings of the first game between Carrasco, uh, Canna, uh, William Adamas, I think, or William Contreras got one. It was three within the first hour yeah. of baseball. Yeah, I which Unbelievable, because I, I thought they would, like, around baseball, I thought it was going to be a lot tighter. Still happening all over the place, which is crazy. Manny Machado got ejected for it, the first player. Wow. Ejected for a pitch clock violation, uh, arguing uh, the other day, which is just absolutely asinine that the umpire ejected a player over arguing about the pitch clock. Like, dude, get over yourself. Come on, Ron Culpa. I mean, Ron Culpa, no, Ron, Ron Maya Culpa, is, is how he always likes to say. <laughs> I mean, those umpires know people are paying paying their money to see them. Yeah. Like, that's what just the umpire show. That's what we're here for as baseball fans. We want to see the umpire make a call. But... Oh, maybe that's the estimate punishment. <laughs> maybe we have to dress up as an umpire to one of the games. That's not a bad one. I'm, I'm, I'm still rooting for sing, sing the national anthem. So we're, that, we're, that would be like, yeah, amazing. we're going to run that one up the flagpole. Let you guys know about that. We've also gotten some pretty good um, estimate, estimate recommendations in the inbox and on Twitter. So if you guys have any good ideas for punishments you want to see Mark and I do after the all-star break, hit us up. My DMs are always open. Mets, just, just tweet at Mets stuff. Tweet at any of us. Like we're, we're paying attention to stuff. I, of course, am paying more attention because Mark has 70,000 followers. I have a little under 6,000 followers. So I'm, there's a much better chance I see your stuff. So I will, I, will, I, will, I will bear that burden of like hit me up with the punishments and I'll see it. It's also better to tell me the punishments because Mark's going to be doing them anyway. So it's better off you filter no, them on, through me. Come on. And that, that's no. kind of part of the game. But the estimate for this series, again, John's out celebrating right now. So he's not involved. But it's going to be... Stolen bases in the Mets Marlins series. It's a three game series. Jazz Chisholm <sighs> might be hurt, who's a guy who does usually steal a lot of bases. John Birdie's going to be playing. We all know he likes to steal bases against the Mets. Starling Marte has been very active on the base pass early. We haven't seen Francisco Lindor get active on the base pass early, but I'm sure he will get there. And this team's going to have to win some games. So I think they might be pretty aggressive. So yeah. stolen bases this series, three games. You, you know, uh, we were talking about that. We get to see Jazz Chisholm play center field uh, against yeah, us no. early twice. He's going to be hurt. They're going to play a real center field. Jinx that one. I mean, you, you've got an unbelievable talent at this. Like, it's crazy. It's truly special. It is. It's, it's, it's uh, magnificent. Right, let, let, me, let me crunch some numbers here. Okay, I like that. Crunching I like numbers. that. I like what I'm seeing. Oh, I'm crunching numbers. That's not that guy. Cool. I'm going to go with... Well, don't say it. How many games have Mets? Mets have played seven games? Mets have played seven games. Mets have played seven games. And I think the Marlins have pay, played... Six, seven. They played seven as well. I'm gonna go with this number right here. I wrote it so small on this piece of paper. I got shockingly small. I got my whiteboard out. I'm I'm pretty excited about it, honestly. Yeah, I mean that's pretty official. So we're just gonna go three, two, one when you're ready. Yep. Three, two, right. one, flip. Bang. Oh Four. great. Oh, what do we do? Incredible. Now what happens? All right. All right. <laughs> Okay, now what? No, this, 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 this unprecedented. The, the first time we do an estimate without the guy who created it, John, <laughs> the guy who would be able to come up with a tiebreaker, we come up with the exact same number. This is unbelievable. You know, uh, want to say who does the who gets the first stolen base? Maybe. I'll, well, I was gonna say it was gonna be kind of uh, maybe who who gets like what team gets the first stolen base? Player. Oh yeah, I guess it could just. Yeah, be. then we're both wrong. That's a one in. <laughs> oh god. I, I think what we should do now is we should add on. What um we what was the last estimate, which was pitch clock violation? Add that number to this number. Okay, so I have six and you have seven. Yeah, so I'm and we okay, I'm, cool. Down. We're putting both of those together: pitch clock violations and stolen bases. Oh, right. 
Mm, you don't like, like you don't that. like that one. What, no. what do we do that? Do you have an idea? <laughs> this is a great podcast. I think we I think I think we just add. We have to add something to stolen bases. So stolen bases plus. Oh, man, I have really an idea. I have an idea. Okay, actually, it's not going to help at all. I was going to say every uh, stealing third counts as two, but it doesn't help us all having the no, same. No, it doesn't number. help at all. We have the same, we have the same number. No solution. God, damn it, there's no solution to this. You want to know why I picked four too? The Mets have stole six stolen bases this year. The Marlins have sold two. I picked the number right in the middle. Nice. I picked four because I thought you would pick five. <laughs> Interesting. Um, you know what we could do? Here's what we could do. What can we do? Here's a solution. We are going to have another podcast that comes out Friday sometime before the Mets play a game. We could add yeah. some estimate to that. Maybe we can get Darren involved. Maybe there can be some okay. kind of activity we do with the seven lines and maybe put something out with this. We could have a conversation yeah. with John in between them because now there's just bad yeah. podcasting us confused of, as to coming no, up very- with a pre-tiebreaker. This is why the producers need to be around. This is why we can't do this by ourselves, James. No, yeah, this is the, this is exactly why. Yeah, this was a nightmare. So this was a nice try. Also, I don't even. I mean, we're going to preview the series and especially Friday's game much more so on the live stream Friday. So you guys make sure you check that out. You get the series preview. It's also going to come out as a podcast probably right away when that game's even going on. So just you could play it in the background. Maybe just maybe just dim dim Gary, Keith, and Ron a little bit. Play us in the yeah. background for the first two innings. It'll be only be about 20, 30 minutes, so it'll be easy getting out and put Darren from the seven line too. If you guys keep track of him, follow him. Yeah, I don't really have another answer right now to do this. I mean, we could just talk about the Marlins series briefly, real quick, because like we said, we're going to do it a little bit more in-depth in the live stream that will be an episode. Uh, Pitching matchups, Tyler McGill is still pitching the home opener, which has now moved to Friday. So it should be McGill, then it's going to be Senga, right? Yep. And then Carrasco? I guess, yeah. I mean, that's that's who would right? make sense. Carrasco would be the Sunday guy. So Carrasco would be Sunday. And then for the Marlins, they just went Alcantara and Lazardo. So their next pitcher should be... Who pitched today for them? Trevor Rod- Or no, today was Lazardo. Yeah. So is it going to be... Those are two we're going to miss, which is pretty cool. Yes, which is nice. Love that. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> good good juju right there. Then we're, so we're going to see Trevor Rogers. I know Johnny Quaid left the last start with an injury. I was not sure of his status. Yeah. And who's the last guy in the rotation we can't think of right now? Uh, Edward Cabrera. Yeah, Edward Cabrera. All right, so then I guess I guess we're getting Edward uh, Edward versus uh, McGill on Friday. And Daniel Castaño is back up, so that will probably be the other starter because I'm looking at their active roster right now. I think Braxton Garrett got sent down. He was in, if I was he correct. pitched out of the bullpen last week, so maybe. Okay, so I think it's it'll be a combination of either Braxton Garrett or Daniel Castano. Castano pitching in Castano or is it? Does he got the little N? Yeah, he's got N. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Daniel Castaño, big card guy, apparently. Fun fact. Also, uh, when we were walking in the tunnels last year, so I'm taking a phone call. He, he answered a phone call from like a spam telemarketer. And he was very, he was, he was astonished. Like, how'd you get this number? And I was like, dude, just hang up. You don't need to answer this phone call. That's kind of funny. It's how people get numbers. That's the theme of the week. Guys. Thank you so much for listening to this. Unfortunately, depressing and negative episode. Yeah. I don't know. We weren't negative. We weren't negative. We were just, no, we had some fun. We had some laughs, some goofs, some gaffes. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully the next episode will be a lot more cheerful, a lot more happy laughs rather than sad, uh, pitiful laughs that we have been giving ourselves this episode. But we really do appreciate any of you that are listening to this right now. You guys are the best. Make sure you follow us on all our social media at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this, it's on the New York Mets YouTube channel. You can go subscribe over there so you don't miss out on any of the content. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, download, subscribe, drop us a rating, drop us a review. We really do appreciate it. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And follow me at Giraffeneck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening and watching. And we will catch you on Thursday, hopefully. No, Friday. Friday. Friday, hopefully, for the live stream of the home opener. Catch you Sunday for the regular episode. And tomorrow or even, even later today, you should be seeing the estimate finale to find out who wears the tuxedo. 
good luck to whoever it is. That's all I'm going to say. Good luck to whoever it is. And we'll catch you guys uh, in a couple days. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time. We'll be in the park Friday and Sunday. Hit us up for stickers or if you want to just hang out and chat.